From the hot and windy hell that is Melbourne tonight, welcome to another episode of 42 to Doomsday. I'm Rob. I'm Mark. Also Rob. Mark and I have been joined by Rob Lloyd, guest of the podcast, friend of the podcast indeed, where we're going to be talking about the Australian leg of the Doctor Who Festival. So you don't have to. Hi, Rob. How are you going? I'm very, very well, thank you. How are you, gentlemen? We're very well. I'm fine. <laughs> my office is a sauna and sweat is dripping down my, 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 my face, but that's fine. That's fine. The images that I'm getting right now is, uh, is uh, something to behold right now. All, all I can say is I'm fully clothed. <laughs> More's the pity. Thank, <laughs> yes. thank God, I was going to say. But anyway, uh, <laughs> as Rob uh, mentioned in our introduction, but this is the after party for the Doctor Who Festival, so... Uh, Ooh, is, uh, it down. Will, will One Direction be attending, Mark? Or let's, <laughs> let's hope not. I went up as a guest of the uh, of the convention, but Rob Lloyd had the pleasure of being a host uh, over that weekend. So, Rob, just sort of uh, give us your insights in terms of how you prepared for the events and how you're engaged. And sure, yeah, um, I was put in charge of the Dropbox stage, basically. Uh, the Doctor Who Festival in Sydney was split into two venues. There was Horden Pavilion, which was the main theatre stage where they put on their big shows like their uh, chat with Peter Capaldi, uh, Ingrid Oliver, and uh, Ma, um, uh, Stephen Moffat. They also had uh, the Sylvester McCoy panel and the Real Effects panel, which showed all the special effects and stuff like that. And in the uh, Royal Hall of Industries, that's where they had... Um, you know, the, the costumes from the show, they had Millennium Effects bring some of the Season 9 monsters in. They had two stages. They had the arena, hosted by my dear friend David Innes, and he hosted two shows there. And I had the Dropbox stage, which is kind of like the main stage of the Royal Hall of Industry, where I had three shows that I had to take care of, which was the Millennium Effects panel with, uh, with uh, Charlie Blewett, who was from Millennium Effects, and we talked about the evolution and creation of the Sandmen from the uh, Sleep No More uh, episode written by Mark Gatiss, which was on the week before in Australia. Mm, yeah. And I also hosted Mark Gatiss' panel, which was a sort of like a writer's masterclass, which was the title. And we just basically spoke about his writing, his process, his opinion on Doctor Who, his thoughts on writing for the show. Um, he's, you know, talked briefly about his work with um, Adventure in Space and Time and also his performance in Doctor Who and the Lazarus Experiment, all that stuff, and opened it up to questions. And I also hosted The Science of Doctor Who Live, which we toured around Australia last year, which I've talked to you guys about. Um, we did a half-hour version of that myself and Dr. Martin White, who was one of the scientists who toured around, did that. So I was on stage uh, for uh, 10 shows a day, 20 shows for the weekend, uh, half an hour each. And so, yeah, I was up on stage from 9.30 in the morning right up till uh, 6 at night with only little bits of breaking in between while also running around with like a camera sometimes filming for this new live streaming app called uh, Periscope, which BBC Australia is on, filming stuff within us for that, uh, doing interviews here and there and just uh, generally trying to, you know, keep everything flowing along and keep the nerdy love of uh, Doctor Who vibrant over that weekend. What about preparation for the Gaddis panel and uh, the Millennium Effects? What sort of uh, material did they give you to work with or was it sort of pretty much you go with it? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I found out about this uh, in 
in April. I was taken out by the BBC. So when they say we're in town, you want to go out for dinner, you accept. Um, and there's the very early stages of discussions about what was going to happen. And right at that panel, they said, we want to have the science of Doctor Who there. And I kind of backed myself and said, that's good. I'd love to do that. But if there's any chance of me taking a step up, I think I proved myself with the uh, uh, the science of the science of Doctor Who, and also with the recent Symphonic Spectacular. Uh, they had a lot of issues about negativity about the VIP event and how it compared to conventions. But through the course of each night and how I kept things going, the feedback was only positive. So I used that as backup to go. I could just host the science of Doctor Who, but I think I can take a step up. And so then over the next couple of months, it was, I was in and out of communication with them. I didn't hear from them for about another two months. And they said just before we announced that the festival's coming, um, they tried to confirm a little bit what I was doing. So instead of just hosting one thing, I was hosting a stage, but they didn't know what the shows on were there. Um, and there was a chance that I might have been hosting the main one because Adam Spencer was being double booked and he was their first choice but they said that if his first choice was gone they'd get Julia Zamiro and if she couldn't do it then I was third choice Woohoo! third comes right after second and first <laughs> um, and so but I asked am I allowed to actually announce that I'm involved and I was given the go-ahead and then I didn't hear again from them for about another couple of months uh, and then I was heard from the company that was working with the BBC to put it on and so then I started to get a clearer idea of what was happening and it was about ooh, about a month out actually so I had hardly any preparation time at all a month out where it was all confirmed for me so because this is the biggest thing that the BBC in Australia the, the Australian division has ever done mm. this is the biggest thing that you know, despite, you know, top gear shows that they put on or anything like that, this was, you know, bigger than that. This was a massive, you know, two-day event where they had to have real stars, real people from the show, plus, you know, classic fans trying to balance out an entire schedule and try to fit it all in. Plus tracks. Uh, and they, yes, plus tracks as well. More of that uh, later. <laughs> and so... Um, trying to work with that expectation because they said they've said directly that they're they're trying to compete against conventions which happened like we went earlier this year to the matt smith and karen gillen uh, and uh, alex kingston one which was run you know with no real compassion or love for the show it was just a case of show us the money you stand in line for your photo and if you're not getting a photo you're in in a massive empty space watching old episodes you get a 45 minute panel with it guests are left on their own and it's really just you know the bbc want to go against that because they want to have prices that are relatively competitive to that but give more than just talks and chats they wanted to have a whole experience that's why it's called a festival so a month out i found out that i was hosting three panels the science of doctor who which i still had uh, the millennium effects one which interests me but the one that really tickled my fancy that really made me go okay they've listened to what i want to say i was given the mark gatiss panel and he wasn't given any solo panels in uh, in the London one. He was on stage with other people connected with you know a Monster Millennium Effects panel. So this was his first time to have a panel solely for himself, and I was you know the one hosting it. But I was wasn't given any outlines. It was about a week or two before when I got in touch with him again and said, "Do we have anything?" And they said, "Oh, we thought you'd been sent the brief." Okay, we'll send you out. So I got that about a week and a half, two weeks before. Had a bit of a scan of it. It was very, very complicated for for both shows. We worked on the science one for a couple of weeks beforehand, but it all I really 
couldn't do much until I actually got there the day before on the Friday when we sat down and figured out what we wanted to do. When I met Charlie, the guy from Millennium FX, he thought he was doing the panel on his own. He had everything prepared. He had a, some footage. He had photos. And he thought he was going to be on stage on his own. I said, no, this is the host, Rob Lloyd. He's going to be there with you. And Charlie was very relieved. He went, oh, thank heavens. I've got someone to help me and push me along. And so, so he was actually quite relieved. So we did a bit of a talk through, but we thought we'd just figure it out as we went along. And we kind of got it straight away, but... We refined things as we went along, made some more time for audience questions. And so by the end of the, the third panel, we knew exactly what we were doing. And that's the only show, that one stayed the same pretty much all the time with little changes here and there, as did the Science of Doctor Who, but we only did that twice. But the Mark Gatiss one was, I did eight, eight talks with him, eight half-hour talks with him over two days, and I tried to make each one completely different because I didn't want him to be bored, but I still wanted to find a shape and a way so that the audience could ask the questions, the same questions, or the big questions over and over again. So preparation-wise, I didn't really have that much time because I, didn't re I wasn't really in the loop. But I'm re I understood the, the reason why I wasn't in the loop is because they were dealing with bigger fish, and I was very much lower down the scale. Mm. So they knew that whatever, whatever whatever was thrown at me, I'd just deal with it and I'd cope with it because I'm just – I realize more and more and more from the weekend. And this isn't a derogatory thing at all. I realize I'm seen more as probably a fan who has you know, professional skills, but I'm not seen in the same league as, say, you know, you know, you Will Andersons. I'm definitely not seen as someone who's in that same category as the stars of the show. I'm in the, the second tier. And I'm very happy with what I did within that level. I tried to get as much attention as I could, but I realized I was on my own and I had to work with, you know, my own skills and my own set to make it work. So I walked away from that weekend. It's very proud of myself. And I think it was a great weekend. And I think, you know, I can walk away going, all the things that I've learned over the last 15 years of performing professionally, I, I used it and uh, presented a good series of shows for the people who had paid a lot of money to be there. I was just going to ask, Rob, um, the whole you know weekend for yourself sounded very a very intense uh, set of days. Could you just give us an insight into how you maintained your enthusiasm and energy levels and how you went about ensuring that, I mean, you say you had, or was it four interviews per day, uh, eight interviews over the weekend with, with Gaddis, is that right? Yeah, yeah, four per day. Four per day. So how, yeah. how did you ensure that uh, you didn't get bored uh, and Mark didn't get bored and you weren't sort of covering the same ground? Well, the, the lucky thing is he's got such a huge body of work within Modern Who and that's what we really focused on. Plus, he's been a fan of the show for so long. I mean, Who's really divided up into three stages for me and I think most fans see it as well. There's, uh, um, there's the classic era from the 60s to the... To the, to the 80s, there's the dark times, which is the 90s where there was nothing, and then there's the modern series. And Gatiss had an active part in all three of those, really, you know, from his fandom when he was young and his obsession with John Pertwee. In the 90s, he was a big player making documentaries and, you know, working in the early days of Big Finish and writing novels and stuff like that. And then moving on in his professional career, he came back to then write for Doctor Who. So, plus with his, you know, you know, pretty much an episode per season, I could really mix it up. And so we always opened with a clip from Sleep No More because that was the most recent one. But then I could focus on 
another aspect. So we'd focus on his historical stories. We'd break it down into each particular uh, era that he was working, working on, whether it's the Victorian era, whether it's, you know, um, the era of Robin Hood, you know, the challenges of all World War II. And he had amazing stories about the research that he had for all these periods. He's such a vastly intelligent man and well-read man. He, re- he reads so much. And um, and so that was fascinating just to, to touch on. There was always something different to hear each each day. Um, and breaking up stuff like creating original monsters and working on you know old monsters and making them fresh. His work on which I th- I think his best work connected with Doctor Who is the Adventure in Space and Time. I think you know all these episodes of Doctor Who have their merits, their strengths and weaknesses, but Adventure in Space and Time is a is a great example of and a love for the show, focusing on a dramatic element but not making it down and morose i mean one of the perfect examples is the the uh, graham kennedy biopic uh the king of comedy or something like that not king of comedy or whatever it is it's one of the most depressing films about one of the funniest men in australia and it takes itself way too seriously whereas uh, you know adventure in space and time has those dark deep pondering moments but there's a lot of joy and fun and happiness and positivity in there as well which i like i like that balance so there's because he had so much work to draw on that gave me so much to focus on as well so i tried to keep him on his toes and he really enjoyed and appreciated watching the clips because as he said he hadn't seen he hasn't seen his episodes in over 10 years he's only going back and watching who now and he's only just gotten up to the start of re-watching the modern season so i was showing everything and, he, and like he hadn't seen idiot slanton for a long time he hadn't seen uh, the unquiet dead all these clips he was seeing for the first time in about 10 years and so that gave him a new fresh look which was really exciting did you get a sense that uh, in of a certain honesty from him with regards to his work over the last 10 years did you get that sense we're not obviously not asking him to you know scarify himself in public his body of work is impressive and no matter what my personal opinion of mm. all his work is or some of his stories is i always um you know wanted him to focus on what he thought of. i was just there as a, a conduit and, you know people yeah. didn't, didn't pay money to see me so it was interesting he he came out with you know interesting facts like after his Charles Dickens episode he heard from Harry Enfield and Harry Enfield said that his kids were on the internet for three hours after you know the next day looking up Charles Dickens because they've never heard of him before that fascinating stuff about people actually wanting to research and learn stuff about Doctor Who and the things connected with it was really good he also talked about the fact that you know the negativity towards the uh, Teletubby Daleks in Victory of the Daleks, he seems disappointed that that negativity has taken away from the episode because he quite liked a lot of, you know, what they're trying to do in Victory of the Daleks, you know, homage to Power of the Daleks and show that sinister, manipulative side of the Daleks. And he felt that the negativity about the, the new paradigm Daleks kind of t- has, t- has, has tarnished. Uh, any affection for that show. And he mentioned his disappointment towards that. Did he talk about the reaction to Sleep No More at all? And He kept very much focused on what he liked about it. People alluded to in the audience questions about, you know, how does he take to negativity or bad press or stuff like that. And as any professional writer or performer would say, and especially, you know, currently working on something that's still going, he was very much defiant and said, you know, he couldn't give a... He said he didn't want to swear, but he couldn't give a rats about mm-hmm. what anyone says. He just keeps on working. And that's what anyone would say. You know, yeah. you take on whatever you want, but you always have to stay true to yourself. And that was, you know, and you see that defiance in him 
and, uh, and but he wins in the end because he has a you know, a regular position who he's already working on you know season four of Sherlock plus planning out his possible sequel to Sleep No More uh, next season. So he's you know he's got so many ideas. He's got you know he's well established within the Hoover. So he's not going anywhere. As a writer, Rob, what was the one? What were a couple of things that you took away? from his his approach to writing did you take anything away did you, did you sort of feel yeah. that you learned something from him or i took a lot of um the usual things like people talk about writer's block and how do you get your ideas and stuff you've heard that before and i know about the process it just and coming from a show that i just did for fringe festival which was so difficult to get the idea um where i work with collaboration as a writer it's a very a lonely process but what i did take from is the ideas you have run through your head for, for yeah, for years, like his idea for Sleep No More, he actually had an idea like of playing Mr. Sandman. He had that in the original version of The Idiot Slanton, but that was taken out, and so he saved that and said, oh, okay, I'll put that in somewhere else. Um, the idea for, for Sleep No More came about because he was an insomniac and he pulled the sleep from his eyes and went, I wonder if there was something you know malicious behind that. And so he pitched that for the start of season eight, and Stephen said, save that, you can do that next year, write me The Doctor Meets Robin Hood. And also pushing the whole fact to young people who are Doctor Who fans and want to be writers. They're going, what do I do to get onto Doctor Who? And he said the very realistic thing was like, if you want to be a writer on Doctor Who, what you need to do is go out and write other things. Mm. You can't just write Doctor Who. And that's one of the biggest, you know, advice that you can do you can't just do doctor who stuff because you you know that's so limiting you need to be able to you know all the writers on doctor who have written so many other types of things and you know some of them aren't even doctor who fans and that's you know a process that you have to follow so that believe you know that truth it's an ugly truth but it's you know it's the cold hard reality of you know you want to be a writer on doctor who you're going to have to write you know for soap operas for 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 commercials for you know cop dramas for short stories for whatever you can get you know if that's your main goal you have to go through every other genre you know you have to be able to show that you're equipped in all genres not just a you know just not just one version of a science of science fiction did you get much time to hobnob with the stars rob no 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 like i said you know it's very much a case of mm. the tiering system or the the ladder was very much well established there was a separate green room area and stuff like that in horden pavilion and we had our own space in the the royal hall of industry which was great so like we had the guys from millennium effects were there for the production village we had some of the writers and directors there we had um uh, the guys from real effects were hanging around we had uh dan starkey we had uh, john davy um so that was really cool so the everyone yeah there was a real sense that of um community there which was really good and everyone was seeing how each other was and checking out each other's show so that was really good um but yeah uh, gatus was there like five minutes or like two or three minutes before his panel and he left straight away with his guard and went straight back to the to the uh to the special space i, sp I think he came up to our green room once just when there was like a, a five minute gap in between one session when like he we did his sessions to you know one after the other um, and so he just stayed in the area because you know, there was no point in going back. But um, it wasn't until like the last day um, that something very different happened. On the last day, w one of the groups, because the, the whole event was split in two, you're either a Cyberman or a Dalek. And so the Cybermen were in the Royal Hall of Industry while the, the Dalek people were in the Horton Pavilion and, and they'd swap around and they'd rotate um, so they could see everything. And on the, uh, the second day, there were less people in the Dalek 
uh, section than in the Cybermen. So there was quite a few, you know, quite a drop off in numbers. Um, and in the afternoon on Sunday, just out of the blue, Capaldi just came down to the Royal Hall of Industry, He'd done all these sections, and while the real effects show was on in Horton Pavilion, he came down to the Royal Hall and just walked around. And like for that entire weekend, up until that point, he was he came down for his photo shoot and he was taken away very, very quickly. Everyone was so positive about you know their very limited time with him, mm. and they really appreciated that he. All I heard was that he was really engaging with every single person. He made co- eye contact with everyone. He was always wanting to find out stuff. He just wasn't hi, how are you? Bang, hi, how are you? Which we've all experienced if we've done conventions. We've always had those stars who are either really engaging or just have no real connection with you at all. Capaldi's predecessor. Um, <laughs> fist bump, Mr. Fist bump uh, himself. Fist bump, McSmith. But yeah, everyone was just so almost surprised at how you know engaged he was and wanting to connect with everybody, which is a real credit to him uh, uh, um, uh, as Capaldi. But he came down and like walked around, and it was almost like you know. <laughs> People, it, it almost felt like, what's that? The Queen's coming down to pick up the flowers. She's coming down to pick up and look at the flowers after Diana died. I'm there going, no, it's just a, you know, we're all used to conventions where some of the guys just hang around, but there's very much they keep their distance in regular panels, but for him to come down and walk around. And the only chance people got to have a photo with him was, you know, paying top dollar or missing out or whatever it was or getting, you know, in really quickly. So for him to come around and pose for selfies and talk to people and sign things, because he didn't do any signings all weekend, mm. um, to do that was great. And he walked around the entire space. He, he did pub trivia. Him, uh, Gatus, Moffat, Stan Starkey for a little bit actually competed in uh, uh, the pub trivia section, which was set up there, and they came third, which was hilarious. And so that's gone. That exploded over the internet, which was hilarious. Nineteen <laughs> came first. <laughs> yeah, perfect score. It was nineteen out of I think it was twenty-one or twenty-two. I think it was. Yeah, so two teams came first, and they got the perfect score. And I think yeah, Capaldi and Moffat and Gatus got. 18 so and and the questions they got wrong were related to their own stories and i knew that would happen i know they get all the classic references like that but if it had to do something with the story they've written of course they're going to miss a fact here and there which i found hilarious but yeah so for him to walk around and engage with the the fans and like took the time he was there for a good half an hour maybe not just he walked around he was there for five minutes he took his time he stopped he chatted moffat did that as well i saw him Earlier on the uh, late in the Saturday, he walked around and spoke to fans. And I saw him while I was on stage. Actually, he was there and he was engaged with this tall but very young, like about fourteen-year-old boy. Just asked him a question, and and Moffat actually stood there and chatted with him and talked to him about it and shook his hand. And and as the young boy walked off, he he nodded and you could see a smile on his face. And I I was dazzled by that. That you know. Moffat has this air of smugness about him just because of the fact he's running two of the most popular shows in the world right now. But for him to take that time was a side that, you know, there's so much Moffat haters out there. And I think someone even in a a panel on the weekend referred to him just as Moffat Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. made derogatory about Moffat moments. And I'm there going, these aren't just words on the internet these are people and you are there addressing them right now and so there's more than just one way of looking at something you know like the the demonization of john nathan turner as well there's more to john nathan turner than just you know the fact, the fact that you know he made you know doctor who more panto i saw those moments and that was really really quite good and to see you know Capaldi do that come down and talk to guys and like he's just been in new zealand last night and 
he came out and chatted to fans and took photos and posed and, and signed stuff, which is, you know, unheard of. Most other stars would not do that. He's really embracing the fact that he's the doctor. He wants to go out and connect with people. And it, none of the modern doctors have done that. I know that during his time on the show, Matt Smith kept his distance and or he was sheltered a lot. Tennant was very much sheltered and Eccleston wasn't there long enough to actually really do anything. <laughs> um, just the sheer amount of publicity and the, but the amount of contact that Capaldi is having with the fans. And that's really boast, boosting up his, um, his popularity. You know, he came into it with a lot of negativity because he was too old, but now he is, you know, well, people perceived him as too old, but he's really doing more than people, you know, almost half his age when they were playing the role or younger, much younger than he was that he's going out and people going, not only is he doing it, he's doing it and he's 56 and he's putting up with an amazing amount of pressure and time and, and, and that's going to take a toll on him, but he is still fresh and lively and, 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 and taking the time with each person and dealing with, you know, you know, guys who host the Dropbox stage and meet him just before he has a, a meeting. And I turned into a blubbering schoolboy. So yeah, I must admit, I was uh, quite nervous going. I was in the photo queue in line, you know, with all the others, and it was my turn. And I said, It's just my name is Mark, you know. And I said, Hi, he goes, Hi, Mark, how are you? Great big handshake as opposed to fist bumping me. He put my you know, arm around my shoulder today. He goes, What did you do last night? So I bet you went for a walk on the Sydney Harbour Bridge you know, at 10 o'clock at night. It was beautiful. He goes, oh, yeah, no worries. And we did the old classic, you know, fairly pose, which he's uh, borrowed and using. So that was great, you know. And I walked out of there and I put a tweet up saying, you know, Paul, dear true gent, you've made my old cynical fan heart glow. I just felt ecstatic. Despite all the doom and gloom of talking about ratings are tanking and, you know, storylines are up and down, I think the show has got a fantastic ambassador in Capaldi. Definitely. He's interacting with not only kids, adults, but, you know, kids with special needs. And he was absolutely brilliant with all of them, you know. And one girl, I had to sort of calm down because she's sort of started hyperventilating a bit, you know, <laughs> poor, poor thing. And I, when she sort of calmed down, I said, oh, you know, out of interest, because I always asked her, who do you prefer, Matt Smith or Capaldi? And I was expecting, you know, Matt Smith. And she goes, no, Capaldi. I said, oh, there is hope, hope in the world, as opposed to the other, <laughs> new, other new series fan in the queue. There's a guy dressed up as Patrick Trout, and she goes to him, oh, who are you dressed uh, up as? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I went postal. Did you, did you refer to uh, Capaldi as Peter or Mr. Capaldi? I said, hi, Peter, how are you? Oh, nice, nice. That's yeah. good, that's good, yeah. That's yeah, good. Nice that as well. I'm, Fantastic picture as well. Great. I was, I'm really happy with it. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I've had enough. I've had run-ins with, you know, celebrities before and stuff like that, and sometimes I just ramble on and stuff like that, but I've never, you know, I've had little moments, but I've been able to compose myself quite well, but with Capaldi, I just lost it. I just, I literally said, I'm here, and I just said congratulations and thank you over and over again. I'm just going congratulations on the great work. You're doing really good. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It's really appreciated. Thank you. It's really good. You're just congratulations. Hold me, Hold me Peter. Hold yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> just could you just just put your arms around me and just send me this? <laughs> and so I just went. I walked out for that when I got nothing. He just looks at you with the eyes, and he actually looked at you. And that's really weird. It's a weird thing to say, but I'm making contact with you. I see you, and you just go, right, okay, well, now I know how it feels to be 12 years old again. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, His eyebrows were used to great effect in the uh, Q&A. Adam Spencer was asking some really bizarre questions, and as you know that, that video game Dig Dug, the little guy just keeps digging himself in a hole and there's a question, yes, yeah. it's more and more and more and more. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. And Capaldi's eyebrows <laughs> are raising more and more and more towards the heavens. Uh, yes. <laughs> how is it for you? I'm looking from the inside, but how is it you on the outside as a 
as a as a punter, how as was the punter. whole experience for you? Did you figure out did you figure out your schedule where you were going to go beforehand, or did you just nah. play it by ear and see? Nah, basically, uh, I flew up on Friday morning, and of course Sydney was forty two degrees that day, so I spent most of the day by the pool. Mark, did the pool have a wet bar by any chance, or it unfortunately didn't? Did it have a spa? So I sat in a spa. A few of us sat in a spa and. Uh, a little bit. The visual uh, images we're getting this <laughs> evening, ladies and gentlemen, is, is where the top ratings are going to come for this podcast. 40 due to doomsday. The <laughs> spar edition. Our ratings are tanking like Series 9 at the moment, so I can imagine they'll be going even further. <laughs> but I got there at 9, was it 9.15 on the Saturday morning, you know, got it bright and early, and the queues were massive, and I thought, oh, be, oh God, we're going to be here for ages. But uh, once we got moving, you know, in the Cybermen, I think it was in Cybermen and had the Dalek section, so we went through two different ways, and we sort of got herded into the Millennium Effects show with Danny Hargreaves. And that was actually quite good. Yeah. Um, it was actually quite interesting, and they asked him what his favourite effect was, and he goes, oh, this one from Torchwood, and, he, and all the girls start screaming, oh, bloody Torchwood. Anyway, but yeah, it was a good effect. It was about 40 minutes, that show, and Adam Spence was asking some fairly okay questions, and uh, yeah. some questions from the audience as well. And then... It was the Capaldi shoot straight after, so we all lined up oh, yes. that as well. And again, that was really, I'm comparing it to the, the Matt Smith one. This is actually really well organized. Cues were moving, even though Peter was sort of stopping and saying, hi, how are you, you know, having that really great uh, engagement. The cues were moving uh, pretty well. And then I had a walk around, and then uh, I saw uh, I saw a, some other little, I can't remember what the presentation was, to be honest. But one of the guys, as I was walking past, said, my dad was an actor on The Enemy of the World. And I shouted oh, out, wow. yay! Like that, really loud. <laughs> I gave him a fright, sort of crapped himself, I think. And then I bumped into <laughs> the shadow treasurer, Chris Bowen. He was there uh, lining up for a coffee. So I bumped wow. into him as well. I bumped into Rusty Crowe at lunchtime, but that's a, that's a different story. People were saying that Rusty was around. I didn't Rusty see Rusty. Rusty was around, yeah. He was with his kids buying uh, bag loads of tat that was there. So, uh, yeah, I saw Rusty. It's on McCoy show, that's it. McCoy show. Now, Adam Spence was checking his phone and drinking uh, a can of Coke on stage because, you know, McCoy was just walking the floor and people are asking questions. He does his usual thing and uh, people are going, oh, my God, that's he does what, That's what people yeah. are saying. So, so I heard this on the Sunday, but he was doing it. Was Spencer actually checking his phone? Did you see him on his phone instead of, like... I thought I like, saw him on his phone. He's definitely drinking Coke. He did ask a question, like, when... Um, and they showed a clip from Time and the Rani. I couldn't... <laughs> I couldn't like, they had, like, the, the you know, the, the Doctor Who Series 9 titles, that, that pre-sort of before the clip hits. And then this cuts into a clip for the, the costume-changing scene from Time and the Rani. And I'm going, <laughs> of all the classic series clips you're going to show, you're going to show <laughs> this one. And, of course, Adam Spencer opens it up, say, OK, Sylvester, let's talk about fair it's brilliant well done. yeah yeah anyway <laughs> yeah <sighs> yeah but that's the thing we've 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 been to conventions where sylvester's been there so we know that how he runs his panels we i've seen it i've seen him run a panel like that three times before and never but the bbc this the bbc did not know when they booked sylvester how he runs his panels they actually found out on the day that he's there going, no, I do this. I hold the mic. I do this. I go through the audience. And then went, what? 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 I guess that's what I do. And so a lot of people were put off by that. And then like he invaded Peter Capaldi's panel at one point and everyone's yes. going, oh my God. Goes, but that's what they do at, at all these other conventions. They go and jump in each other's panels. Um, John Pertwee and Troughton were doing that for years in the mm. 80s when they were on the panels together. They'd always invade that. There was always that anarchistic feel that, you know, you go, I was there at that moment when it happened. It doesn't have to run smoothly. Um, and that's what I love about, you know, Sill. And I'm so glad that people who weren't used to the convention scene like we were seeing Sylvester for the first time in his element doing what 
we've seen. I've kind not taken for granted, but you're aware of. You go, oh yeah, that's what he does. But people go, oh my god, he was in the crowd and he was addressing people and he was yeah. walking up and down. He didn't stay on the stage. I'm going, yeah. and that man, you go, yeah, that's awesome. That's incredible. And that's you know, people will be talking about that for ages. If the BBC had any sense, they would have videotaped or sent out got. Capaldi and McCoy, you know, after the the, the Q and A session, get them bloody posing together. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But no, no, I did. I did see Sylvester being uh, walking to one of the one of his sessions and um, with his handler, and these people walked up to him and said, "Oh, look, do you mind us having a quick picture?" And the mind is going, "Oh no, 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 he's on a very tight schedule," you know. And McCoy's going, "Yeah, yeah, it's fine, whatever, just take a picture." So <laughs> good on him, good on. Him. And then I went and saw. Uh, I went and saw your Science of Doctor Who. Um, oh, yes. I was a bit distracted though because in the background I kept hearing Sontaha, Sontaha, and it was comedy <laughs> Sontaran doing something. That was the probably only criticism I have was that I think the stages were too close together, so you know the the, the audio was bleeding over to your show and, and yours was probably bleeding over there. So um, yes, yeah. Well, I was right behind Production Village as well, and so they had like video footage playing. So there were times when we'd hear massive Murray Gold scores when I'm trying to have a quiet conversation with um with Charlie Blewett. So yeah, I'm very much aware of. And Gatus mentioned that a couple of times whenever the sound stopped to go. Oh, thank heavens for that, and yeah. we'd have to boost up our sound, and that would cause feedback. So yeah, that's that's that that was issues that we had to deal with all, all, all yeah. weekend. And it's the same issues the show's having anyway. Very low dialogue, overcrashed with uh Murray's Muzak. I was a bit fed up of hearing Muzak uh, of Murray, but uh, then went and saw the Capaldi show uh, Q and A after that with Moffat, uh, Ingrid. Uh, I was going to say Ingrid Bergman, but anyway, uh, Ingrid <laughs> Oliver and uh, Capaldi. And look, Capaldi was great. Uh, Stephen did come across slightly dour. I think the session was delayed because, uh, as all Australians do when we get uh, bored, because all they were doing was was showing the same picture stills going around this carousel you know going around the same pictures with murray gold's bloody music i'm going oh for god's sakes put on the sea devil suite do something but anyway they uh we all started slow clapping adam sort of said to the audience look try and ask some questions which you know you haven't asked haven't been asked before you know so of course somebody says will there be a sherlock doctor who crossover and of mm -hmm. course mr moffat says answer this questions thousands of times look on google uh, yeah yeah and then he, he was trying to uh convince me about the whole war doctor situation and again, it's just, it's, just like, it's just like dig dug. He just kept digging. I'm going, no, it's still not right, mate. No, no. <laughs> on cannon, I keep calling it. As you do. As, as you I do. do. As you do. Mark, you should have charged the stage screaming, McGann, McGann. <laughs> it's not right, is it? But uh, <laughs> anyway. yeah. And then actually, then I got off my bum and said, where's the plan? I should actually plan it the rest of the day. So I planned out to see. I did the pub quiz, uh, which yeah. I'll, just, I'll just say again, I won. Uh, well done. Yeah, yeah, and we, you know, we're very gracious as well. You, you, you crushed those twelve-year-old new series fans, didn't you, Mark? Just crushed them. <laughs> they were dust. <laughs> no, actually, I did, I did go and congratulate a couple because there was a couple of young kids in there. I said, "Look, you know, just don't watch the new stuff. Go back and watch the old stuff, and you'll be, you'll be fine. You'll win, just like me." And I was expecting a, you know, like a, like a bit of a prize or something like that. Went up, you know, went up there and uh, hands out. And all I get was like a, a flyer saying, okay, I won the Doctor Who quiz. Uh, and hey, you should get that framed, man. I you did. I, that I, I, not I, even. Yeah. I, I said, not even Capaldi won that. So I did, uh, I did photograph that and send it to my non-Who friends who said, oh, for God's sakes, you know. 
<laughs> well done. And then I went and saw your talk with Mark Addis, and that was really good. Um, again, yeah. yeah, I think I was about to ask the question, uh, say, Mark, when you take over a showrunner, what are you going to do? What are the first five things you're going to fix? Except the microphone all of a sudden, okay, and that's what we've got time for. <laughs> do you remember what we focused on in that one in particular? I'm thinking that's the afternoon. Yeah, it was so the I'm afternoon trying... once we talked about uh, the Crimson Horror. Right. Which, uh, about Diana Rigg and um, oh, what's her daughter's name? Come on, Rachel Starling. Thank you, sir. Yeah, uh, I know you were sort of enthusing about that, which is actually good because uh, I do quite I like that sh- that show, and so I know my Rob does as well. well you both my Robs, and um, <laughs> I'm touched, Mark. I'm, I'm really you. touched. You then, you then, you know, like Moffat trying to convince me about the War Doctor, he was trying to convince me about Victory of the Daleks. So, yeah, look, <laughs> I, I saw those Paradigm Daleks in Cardiff shoved at the back. Uh, last time I saw them being used uh, in like an, a di- an interactive diorama, and they were just basically at the back. You know, nobody wants to talk to them. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk to them. So, yeah, he tried to convince me but failed miserably. He touched upon um, the new Adventure Nightshade that he wrote, yes. which I think yeah. is a great, great book. Yeah. Adapt that for TV, son. Two-parter. There you go. <laughs> and he talked about his favourite TARDIS crews and, Ian, like, what companions would you bring back? And I think somebody, I think, was somebody dressed as Adric in the front row? Was that yes, right? it was. Yes. Yeah, there was a girl dressed as Adric. It was really awesome. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> I was just silence. No, 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 I'll just, I'll just say, Mel Bush. <laughs> no, I was just going to say someone called Child Services, please. <laughs> no, that's unfair. That's no. unfair. Uh, and then he mentioned uh, like to, like you know Ian and Barbara would like to bring back or Susan or something like one stage, but uh, yeah, no, he was really good. Yeah, it's just a shame he got very finite time to you know you ask your questions and he has to and and the, and the uh, audience too as well but you know in the day because i'm comparing it also to the excel convention and look it was obviously yeah. a scale but very similar in terms of the some of the content they were running um but the main takeaway for me was uh, capaldi is a complete gentleman and yes. uh, a great ambassador for the program and as i said made my cold uh dead cynical fan heart beat a little more which it hasn't been we beaten since uh, nineteen. I'm still thinking. I'll let you know when I <laughs> beat in the so. previous century. In the previous uh, century, but he's brilliant. Oh, sorry, I just got two questions, uh, Rob. Just you, when you were speaking with Mark during the the whole process, did you get the sense from him that uh, he, uh, sometime in the future, would look would look to branch out in t- in terms of what sort of writing he would do, TV writing, or is he at the moment? Um, is he very much in the moment of doing Sherlock and Doctor Who? Well, no, he's writing Sherlock at the moment, but yeah, he he did mention about him. He's working on a on a movie. He's working on a movie script, so that's really exciting. So he's all and he always encouraging, like I said before, about branching out and working on other things and not just being a who, uh, uh, a Whovian writer. So yeah, he's got a, a novel, uh, sorry, a, a script that he's working for a movie. And he was he did some pictures and was over in LA and they were trying to convince him to come over there and he he said look it just didn't interest him he you know he actually likes his life in london he loves living in the uk he likes that type of stuff and you know the appeal that he has no appeal of being drawn over to america and stuff like that um so he said he was talking to this agent there going and the agent could tell that mark was getting losing a bit of interest he goes mark tell me tell me from your heart what do you want what do you want? What do you really want? And Mark said, you know, I just want to be happy. And the, the guy thought about it for a second and said, I can do that for you. <laughs> and, and he just went, 
he just meant that's the classic American way of answering thing. And he went, no, nah, I think I'm pretty much happy where I am. And that's a, that, that was something I, I, I found quite, um, quite endearing, but yeah, he is working on other stuff and he's working on a, a movie script, which is non who related. So that's pretty exciting, but he didn't give any details about that. Sound like that uh, show episodes. You see that where those British writers go yes. to America. Yeah. And, uh, and Rob, that other, the other thing I was going to ask, you, you, we've concentrated on Gettys, but you also worked with the, uh, the Millennium FX, uh, people, Doing yep. both panels, did you get a sense of the, the collaborative process? Because you're looking, you know, with Gaddis, you're doing the writing side, and with the Millennium FX people, you're doing the visual side. Did you get a sense of how collaborative the process is from both sides? Or well, yeah, well, basically, with, with with Charlie, we focused more just one monster. It was the Sandman. So, and we actually had one of the Sandman uh, uh, suits out, and that was walking around the space, and so that was a unique thing because it was actually from the set. And it was there in in Australia and walking around the convention. So it was focused mo- mostly on that. But what we found out is that Mark is very much hands-on. So he's there even from the concept stage. And he's giving the approval going, no, I want less this and more of that. Which is, And as Charlie said, it depends on who the writer is. Mark is very hands-on straight away, whereas other writers aren't given as much free reign. So that was very fascinating that Mark has quite... You know, a lot of a control within the process of the show, how he wants them to look, how he wants them to move, how he wants them to appear, all that type of stuff. So we got the concept drawings and how that evolved from less zombie-like into more, you know, lumbering kind of gorilla-type shape with hunches and this gaping mouth. And that was something that was really pushed by Gator. So, yeah, we I found out with the Millennium Effects, it's very hands-on, and they love that. They're very much into the collaborative nature with the writers coming in, and also with the movement coach. They have um, a movement coach, Elsa Burke, who um, I met at the start of the year when she came out for the Symphonic, and she has been a professional dancer choreographer for you know, 30, 35 years or so, and she has been in charge since... Eccleston series about finding a different shape and movement for every single monster. So every single monster in Doctor Who, she has been in control of the movement. So if you watch them, you see they all have distinctive movements and shape and weight and all that type of stuff. And Millennium Effects work with her and with Gaddis and with the writers and with the producers to create what they need to. It's incredibly uh, collaborative, which was really um, yeah, inspiring. She's going to have a work cut out for her when they bring back the Sea Devils next year. <laughs> oh, no, oh no, the Merca. Right, I, I resign. Take, yeah, take take up take up the take up swimming lessons, and also um, let's just get a pantomime horse and put scales on it. That's fine. And, and for both of you, what was the vibe uh, on the floor for Mark and up on stage? What was the sort of? I mean, what was the demographic there? What was the vibe? The buzz through the halls. Uh, Mark, you can go first. A lot of kids there. A lot of teenagers there. Uh, a lot of kids dressed up as Osgood because obviously it's the uh, easiest one to do. A few of us old farts there as well, but I think the demographic was certainly, uh, you know, mums and dads and kids brought them out for, for for the day, which was great. Very positive, I think. The people I was speaking to and you know, and the mates I went out with, all all very positive towards the day. Um, you know, certainly much more positive than the the hub production thing in in May with Matt Smith. You actually yeah. felt like it was an entertaining day, and you had to pl- If I if I'm planning out my day, I've got to do this, and I had the dilemma of do we do the pub quiz or the fan challenge? You know, they've put on a fairly good show. So uh, I walked out of there, definitely uh, would recommend uh, to anybody to go if it comes to their town. And if they did bring it out again, uh, hopefully to Melbourne this time, the cultural capital of Australia, uh, I definitely <laughs> would go 
uh, again. And uh, this time, maybe get a press pass. Wanted to keep the Barkers away, and I don't blame them. <laughs> maybe they should hold it in Cincinnati um, next time. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> For me, it was, yeah, the, the vibe was really, really positive, really exciting. Everyone was really um, pumped to be there. And I could see that point in the afternoon where things started to calm down. So at the start of the day, um, everyone was pumped and ready. And everyone was really well-structured, apart from, you know, uh, my fellow a podcaster, but pretty much everyone I met, they had they had they had their schedule planned out. They went right, we're going here, and then we'll go here, and then we'll go here. And so, like people were coming in and sitting down like five ten minutes before, so they can get the best seats. Because like in normal conventions, they have the uh, the front couple of rows blocked off for um, people who have paid more money. But with the Royal Hall of Industry, you could just sit wherever you wanted. So we had people going, okay, no, I'm definitely seeing the Millennium Effects here. Then I'll go over and see the arena show with uh, with Dan Starkey and John Davies. Then we'll go over and to see the Real Effects show. Then when we come back in, we'll see the science of Doctor Who and stay for the Mark Gatiss panel. So every, you know, there was this feel of they wanted to have people organize it so that they could do just do it in one day. And a lot of people were saying if you were getting a photo, you were waiting around a lot. But that's just the nature of getting a photo. And so you were missing out on other opportunities and maybe two days might be a better opportunity. So just spend one day on getting your photos and then the next day seeing the shows. I don't know. Did you feel rushed at all? Did you feel as if, you know, no. you couldn't get everything in, Mark? The only thing I sort of had to clash was the pub quiz or the, the fan challenge. I mean, the things I wanted to do, I got done. I wasn't interested in getting, you know, Dan Starkey's autograph. I got McCoy's autograph. So I wasn't interested in that sort of side of it. So the only photo yes. I wanted to get done was Capaldi and I was happy with that and I got that and... Um, I was a happy camper, so yeah. And you probably would have noticed the fan challenge was more based for the younger people, so the pub challenge was more set up for you. So that was probably a, you were unaware of it, but that was a better choice for you. It was, but uh, they needed alcohol there. It was a, it was a very dry, <laughs> it was a very dry pub. The only drinks that were giving out were barocas out the front. I reckon you could have done with a couple because I had one. I was buzzing for hours. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the the vibe was great. It was very good. We got to about like the one o'clock, two o'clock mark, and every time I came out at the start of the show in the morning, I'd go, "Hey, how you all doing?" And there'd be the immediate mm. cheer. I came out for the afternoon. It wasn't like deflated, but everyone was going, "Hey!" <laughs> and so yeah, I played the whole. Oh, you a bit tired? You a bit tired after all the awesomeness? Oh, you're all a bit tired, and they're all going, "Yes, we are." Oh, you want to have a sleep? And they, they they played along. It was a really lovely vibe that we all were there going, you know, it's like Christmas time. You get to that point where you've woken up at like six in the morning and you've opened all your presents and you've had all your candy. And then you've, you know, you hit that point where the sugar just, you know, hits your head and you go, oh, I'm so tired, but it's the best day ever. But we're going to keep going. So there was this lovely energy that would keep going and there was no real negativity. I didn't see any type of complaining or any issues like that. And if there was, it was, you know, not in any significant way so it was just a yeah a really positive vibe and more positive energy that i've had at any other regular convention i've been to and i've kind of oversaturated myself with conventions over the last couple of years so for for me to go to this one and i actually felt a buzz to be walking around and the buzz was yeah it was a bit of a revelation for me i went wow okay i've kind of get that buzz of when i first went to a convention you know within this new you know, conceit of it, um, you know, about 10 years ago. The only yeah. questionable thing I found was uh, them showing a Sherlock trailer just before, <laughs> in the, just before the Moffat, oh, the Stephen Moffat panel, I should say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see on the big screen, but I was going, hmm, a bit of uh, brand 
cross-pollination there. <laughs> We're at the Billy Piper's uh, sudden withdrawal. Do you hear any negativity about that at all? I mean... All I saw was people online. It's the usual um, nerd thing. that we People making it all about them. So I've seen a lot of people go, oh, it's a shame that she's uh, pulled out, but I actually met her at the last convention, so that's okay. And I've never met Ingrid, so I'm happy. I'm going, well, that's where Facebook becomes, you know, an avenue for just your own, that everything's about you. <laughs> so there didn't, didn't seem to be that much of a negativity about it, especially because Osgood is such a fan favourite. And, and Well, um, with you, in- maybe. <laughs> <laughs> As I was just saying, there's more than just your opinion as well. <laughs> We're going to talk about Series 9 in a minute. <laughs> and if there was any negativity, it was just um, mostly people were talking about it after the fact like did you feel as if there was enough people around to find out information about enough volunteers to lead you around or stuff like that the main uh, ones i saw at the photo um cues you know sort of corralling people and making sure that you know people weren't having fistfights in there and not hassling the guests too much but i didn't really yeah i didn't really sort of um interact with any of those guys at all i mean they've all got nice red t-shirts on saying hey ask me questions but i'm sure there would have been questions there i mean lots of props there um they had uh, they yes. had yeah they had Missy's dress which i i took a picture and sent to rob so he was happy with that and uh, <laughs> that seemed mark that seemed to be hidden in a back in a back alley somewhere it, with it was it was quite dark when i took it i wasn't taking the best shot i just thought oh, yeah it's Missy you know whatever move on uh, but they had the, the Maya robots. They look impressive on the screen. When you get close to them, pushing in with your finger, they're soft and squeegee. And they had, I think they had the sleep monsters there as well, or the snot monsters, I call them. Um, they were impressive. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah they had the Zygon uh, pods, although I did tweet and say, hey, look, it's great to see the uh, gel guards uh, back from the three doctors. <laughs> <laughs> Just need to see the prawn, the prawn arm. Yeah, I got a lot of retweets from uh, BBC uh, as a doctor here in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, a lot of retweets, a lot of following us. <laughs> Probably a good thing, actually, anyway. Um, and just to wrap it up then, so, Rob, it sounds like to me that if uh, they came out again, you would put your hand up like a shot to do it again, I, I imagine? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I've worked with the BBC four times now, and I've never, I never, you know, take it for granted. And if they give me a call... I, I, you know, I'd be there uh, in a heartbeat. It'd just be very interesting to see what what's the next thing they're going to bring because they tried with the Symphonic Spectacular and I think they realised they oversaturated it and they bring it back every year for about four years in a row or yeah. three years in a row um, was a bit too much and so they learnt their lesson about okay, so if we bring something too much, the crowds the, the crowds always you know demand we want something di- now 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 but if it comes too regular they go they become complacent so i think they i think they've learned from this that it was a massive success a lot of people are interested about it. they got a lot of great press um and to have those big stars out like they you know you can't get any bigger than the actual head writer of the show and the star of the show um so they've proven that they can do it they're probably you know, learn from little mishaps along the way because it was the first time they've done anything like that. But it'll be interesting to see where they go next and whether I fit into that or not. And if I do, I'll be very happy to be there. But I'm not, I'm not assuming anything. I've, I've been working in this industry long enough to, you know, any gig I do now, I just go, well, that was really, really cool. I'm not expecting a call again. So The only way they could but, match it, I think, would be if they bring Tenon out. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. And they were talking about this, what, you know, who other, do- you know, they bring out Capaldi, but 
they couldn't bring out a doctor who was too closely associated or too closely in time mm. to to because that would take away. But they need so they needed a classical doctor, but someone who really complement the new doctor, but not really overshadow. And because Tennant is still quite a massive presence within Who, you know, he is in many ways the the modern series Tom Baker, and in many ways he's you know, in many people's eyes, he's overtaken Tom Baker or is at the same level at. So, and he's because his career is still powering along quite well, what with Broadchurch and now with um, Jessica, Jones. Uh, Jessica, Jessica Jones, and you know, which is getting him a lot of great press. Mm. That whole series is really powering along um, and a really good follow up from Daredevil. So, he's really is this momentum is carrying through, and so he's. He's a juggernaut of um, success, so for that to come to come back and do Doctor Who would be, you know, something he might be wary of because he's still associated with it. I mean, he's even done he's doing Big Finish, and of course he was going to do Big Finish. There was no, I I certainly did not think for a second he would not at some point come back to Big Finish, and I knew he would only come back with um, with Tate. So, mm. what's Matt so, Smith yeah, doing at the moment? He's very quiet. Um, Yes, yeah. Well, he tried to start, you know, to have his own franchise, and but he chose poorly. He chose uh, to be involved with Terminator Genesis. Mm. So mm. he's uh, mm. on back to the board and trying to start again and go. Okay, where can I go now? Mm. And he'll land on his feet. He's young yeah, and very, that, very talented. Correct. And Mark, just to wrap it up, then uh, your final thoughts uh, on the Doctor Who Festival Sydney? Tiring, but very <laughs> yeah, hugely enjoyable. Uh, even though it was held in Sydney. Great location as well. It was, wasn't that far from the CBD and the airport as well. So our flight got delayed. Thank you, Death Star. Um, so we went across the road and <laughs> had a pizza and uh, chilled, had a couple of ciders. And uh, I did I did spot Paul Venezes. Um, he was deep in conversation with some other Victorian fans. I was, I was trying to, you know, get a bit of an avenue and talk to him about garden names and parallel Daleks, but didn't get the opportunity. But it's a shame. But it, uh, yeah. Shame. Yeah, but great. Yeah, great day. Thorough, uh, hugely enjoyable, but like you, Rob, I was shattered on Sunday when I had to start my Christmas shopping. <laughs> now, speaking of hugely enjoyable, let's talk about Series 9. Hit it, Rob. <laughs> I urge everybody to go to impulsegamer.com and have a look at other Rob's uh, review of Series 9. I said positive things. No. <laughs> no, no, no. What are your thoughts on Series 9, Rob Lloyd? I think I'm probably the polar opposite to you guys. I'm actually, I'm really enjoying this season. I'm really having a good time. Um, I think um, Capaldi's come back with a, a new um, vibrance and a new confidence. Um and from what I heard, what people are talking about, and I think it was someone paraphrasing what Capaldi himself said. He said in season eight, he was playing the 12th Doctor or trying to play this persona of the 12th Doctor. And when he came back for this season, he went, you know what? I'm just going to play the Doctor. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to play the role and just go with that. And I think that's a really smart decision and it's come across. Um, one thing for me, I remember when all the gossip was going around about Doctor Who coming back and there was rumours about who was going to be asked before Eccleston or all that type of stuff. And there was a rumour I heard floating around that possibly Bill Nighy yeah. would have played the role. Mm. And I thought that would have been a fascinating idea. I thought Nighy would be great because one of my favourite performances from him is in Still Crazy where he plays this you know, drugged out to the extreme type of, of 
drug-addled um, ex-rock god from the 70s. Um, and I thought, wouldn't that be great to have the Doctor played as sort of like this ex-rocker, this old rock star type of, you know, bumbling through time and space, you know, type of thing. I thought that would be a fascinating concept. Uh, but we didn't get that. I said, oh, well, that's gone. But then when Series 9 started, I've gone, you know, Capaldi has really embraced... When, when the Doctor Who actor embraces the part of themselves and infuses that into their Doctor, that's when we start to get some fun. So when I quite liked when Matt Smith brought in his, you know, his love of soccer and all that type of stuff, and I liked seeing those individual actors bring that to the role. And so with Capaldi coming out on a tank playing guitar and him playing the electric guitar throughout the show, I'm I'm absolutely loving it i'm loving the fact that there's no sonic screwdriver and i'm okay with the, the sonic shades as long as they're not a screwdriver and they haven't been used as much which is great that's not it's not something in the hand which can be used as a weapon or a prop or something like that it's you know they're quite unintrusive in that way um and then the tone of the show is is a lot more coherent it's a lot more there's a lot more although darker in tone there's a bit more positivity behind it wouldn't and that's coming mostly from capaldi so and the stories for me are of a higher standard i mean i i I, i've been quite happy with it and i think sleep no more was the weaker of uh the season but that's compared to everything else being of a high standard i look at um the first half of matt smith's last season so you know when you look at the asylum of the daleks five-parter with the last couple of episodes of ponds that's a really solid season, but the weakest one is Town Called Mercy. But if you take that one and put it that put that episode in any of the other seasons, it'd be a highlight. But because it was surrounded by a high quality season, it kind of stood out as weaker. So that's what I see of season nine. I've been quite happy with it, but I'm aware that there's a lot of uh, negativity towards it. Pretty much from the two people I'm talking to right now. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Rob, and we'll. <laughs> 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 there's no there's no wrong way of being a fan, but I just feel as no, if um no. feel I, like the door has opened have, an empty room on my own. Yeah, no, we have called out the, the ones we have liked. I mean I did like uh was it before the flood and the second was it before the Un, flood? Under the lake and before the flood. Yeah, thank you. I didn't mind that one. Uh the girl who waited for something to happen and the girl who waited for to start acting I thought was was boring. Um <laughs> Saigon Invasion I wasn't overly keen on, but the inversion I, I thought was was good. Uh I actually yeah. one of the three people who didn't mind sleep no more. Well done for doing something different. And Into the yeah. Raven I thought was great last week. I'm actually intrigued now to see how the, the season concludes. So I think if I had to use a word to describe it, I would say inconsistent. And less said oh, about le- the less said about the um, the opening. Throw it on the wall and see how it slides, and put it on the TV screen. The better the Dalek <laughs> opener. I wasn't a big fan of that, but uh, uh, other Rob, um, other me. Uh, unquestionably for me, Peter Capaldi is the standout element in Doctor Who at the moment. Uh, like yes. like Rob Lloyd, I, I think his his performances. I don't in the. Almost two years that he's been in the role, I can't recall him putting a foot wrong performance-wise. I think the intensity he brings to the role is at the right level. Uh, I, I, a, lot, a lot of people, for some reason, didn't quite like Series 8 as much as me, which is fair enough. But I, I, I just think that, unfortunately, Series 9 hasn't 
for me, reached the, the level of Series 8, for mu- of much of Series 8. I, I personally think that the opening two episodes, while there were some individual great scenes... Uh, for me, there was there was more elements that didn't gel, which meant that the series got off to a, a slow start, uh, or not a very a, a stumbling start more than anything else. And while it did pick up with, uh, you know, uh, under the under the uh, under the lake and before the flood, it, it, we, we were sort of harking back to old sort of tired tropes with you know the base under siege and stuff like that. Um, I really really enjoyed I'm, as mark said i'm one of the few people in the world who actually enjoyed sleep no more i enjoyed the conceit <laughs> i enjoyed the conceit of the fan footage uh, I, I understand where people are coming from that the you know the the monsters that the sort of the stuff in your eye when you wake up in the morning uh is a bit of a is a bit much but when you think that th- this series has had the moon uh, uh you know crack open and a, and a, a chicken has emerged and then laid another <laughs> a moon and then flapped away i can i can live i can live with creatures that have mutated from the stuff the, the dust that gathers in the corner of people's eyes i think well uh, this is also this is the same show that's also had like a giant prawn take you out when you shrink inside exactly uh, and, that's right. and a giant cactus and a giant cactus yeah, as well that's you've right. had you know giant giant bats and you've had you know um just weird guys with haircuts just with a you know a cone over their heads calling themselves dominators i mean you've had some really you've <laughs> kind of yeah you cannot say the quarks are anywhere more convincing or scary than mm. you know s- sleep monsters I, so i yeah. thought the sleep monsters were particularly freudian in one instant but anyway we'll move on from that <laughs> I, I think I, and i'm not quite sure whether that one of those ones was actually wandering around the floor uh, at the doctor who festival scaring that but jesus out of the kiddies but anyway um i i think gaddis uh cops a lot of stick unfairly and I, th- I thought that sleep no more copped a lot of unfair stick as well i thought it was clever in what it was trying to do uh yes the found footage in horror movies has been done to death but it's n- not been seen in doctor who and i thought it was done pretty cleverly here uh and i thought the ending where uh reese uh, it's reese smith isn't it yeah where he scratches yeah, his eye and his face begins to collapse is one of those moments that children watching today will be talking about in 30 years time where people of our generation were talking about Kane's face melting in, in Dragonfire or anything else in Doctor Who from the classic series. I thought that was just a beautiful, brilliant uh, yeah, element. It's a, and it's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger that we mm. won't get resolved till hopefully no, next exactly. year. That's exactly. incredible. That's a bold move to go, yeah, it's a two-parter, but it's not going to be the part two is not going to be played next week. Mm. Mm. So a lot of people there going, you know, criticism about, oh, it's not a, you know, having Clara's demise done at that point, I'm there going, no, it's 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 a good point for where her journey has gone over the last two and a half years, but also it's the it's it's not the end of the season. We've still got two episodes to go. So this her demise is now the springboard for the last two episodes. So exactly. it shouldn't be seen as a lot of people are going, Well that's the end of her. I'm going, No, no, no. This is the start of her resolution and we're gonna be you may be heartbroken now. People going, Oh, I feel a bit flat after it Either way, this is just the start of her resolution on the show, and she's going to get, you know, it's the doctors dealing with that next episode, and then I assume in, you know, the final episode, it's going to wrap it up in some way. We're not going to be happy she's that, you know, it's not going to be a happy ending, but there's going to be, you know, that was just the start of her resolution. I'm, uh, I'm sure of it. Apparently, there is a clue to the season resolution. You know, the picture of the doctor and Clara running away from the giant fireball? Yes. Apparently, there is a clue in that fireball. Right. I know I'm being cryptic, but hey, 
Well, I've got a I've got a, a poster out of the Series Nine um, DVD or Blu-ray box set, which is that image. So I'll scramble around for that, Mark, and I'll yeah. tell you later. But uh, I like to re uh, just reiterate. I think Capaldi is uh, sensational, and especially in last week's episode. Yeah, I've said before he's more avuncular. What he did last year was fascinating, and someone with great skill as an actor playing the role straight away but you can see the gear changes and you kind of see that with any actor playing the doctor in their first time it takes them either a year or six months to hit it or in some cases wait until they record on audio to get their doctor um but you saw the gear changes it was taking shape as a character but you could see them but now he's moving more smoothly and no more clearly than in you know face the raven when you see him go from vitriolic to depression to hope to despair to to pride to admiration to not even being able to look at it you see those subtle changes whereas last season there was massive you could hear the clutch going but now he's got that smooth change like you know being handled by lewis hamilton or something and it was just him and um uh, Jenna Coleman were just beautifully riffing off each other and just capturing those moments. Um, great. And I just went, you know, you can't get this anywhere else on TV. It's bold. It's brave. It's, you know, it's, it's emotional. It's, um, beautifully acted and it's dealing with some big stuff and it's, you know, going out at eight o'clock at night, which is, you know, you're remarkable. Death in heaven was like Mr. Bean <laughs> and then he tries changing his, <laughs> you know, grunting yeah. away. Yeah. Now, speaking of, uh, we've, we praised uh, Capaldi's performance to the heavens, as we should. Now, poor old Maisie Williams has been copying a bit of flack. Is it? Do you think it's fair? You can see from someone who's been on a professional set for most of her life. The, her stuff with Game of Thrones, she's only on like a couple of minutes per episode. So now when she's stepping up to something more substantial, this is probably one of the more substantial roles she's had outside of Game of Thrones. And you're still seeing... That's for me. That's the point where I've gone. Okay, no, she's still very young. She's still got a lot of you know, a lot more experience to learn. So she's not like one of those naturally gifted performers. She's going to have to work a lot, lot harder. Like um, Jenna Coleman has got this natural charisma about her. So no matter what script she's given, she can just hit it running. Whereas someone like um, uh, Karen Gillan she had to work really hard and i think she found her feet more in her later episodes on doctor who and she really had to work hard so and that i see that was macy as well she's 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 got natural talent but she's finding that confidence and that charisma and finding that more natural flow it's taking her a bit of time because she's very very young yeah. and um and she's 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 got talent now she just needs to you know expand it a bit more and work on it and that's a really exciting thing for her to do but if she's copying criticism it's just they're going back off okay she's doing a good job and she's learning as she goes so so it's not Stephen Moffat's uh, Beryl Reed moment <laughs> still one of my favorite moments is in the audio commentary of Earthshock where at the end of it there's silence and Matthew Waterhouse turns to everyone and goes well I thought Beryl Reed was marvelous <laughs> <laughs> and Beryl is trying her best Beryl is doing everything within an inch of her life she has no bloody idea what she's saying or talking about but she knows what she has to hit she's you know 
she she was wrong for that particular role, I think. Um, but um, if you've seen any of her other work, like her work on Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy with uh, Alec Guinness is outstanding. So she's just there going, hard, hardened space captain, eh, probably not, but she tried her best. You can see her working her ass off, just like Sylvester McCoy with his three years in Doctor Who. He's not what we'd say one of the most naturally gifted dramatic actors but god he tried everything in his power to really push it as far as he could with the role and that's what i respect about him so he pushed himself as far as he could he didn't rest on his laurels which a lot of other leading actors within the show have have definitely done yeah i I, look i do feel sorry for Maisie. i do think she was miscast though because you know the scene where she's crying over the children it just it needed an older actress to pull it off i felt it's a big role uh, I just don't think she carried it off. And especially when you're going up against someone like Capaldi. Rob, your thoughts? Well, uh, having listened to Rob and, and thinking about it, I mean, at the end of the day, she is a young actress, and uh, a lot. My, my thoughts basically mirror, mirror Rob's, really. I mean, it, it's it's sort of unfortunate that uh, uh, that she has come across in that way, and, and, and people uh, like like me are a bit too eager to to tear people down. Uh, but when you when you, I, I suppose being fair and and, and thinking about it. Uh, you know, the television is a hard game, and, and, and if you haven't got the experience, there's nowhere really to hide. So she did a competent job, I suppose, but um, Rob's right. I mean, come back to her in five or ten years' time and see what sort of actress she's blossomed into, uh, and, and then and then give a fair appraisal of her performance. Mm. And I think, yes, you know, teaming her up with Capaldi is going to be nothing but good for her, so she can actually, you know, that's what a lot of you know young actors and actresses do when they get into it. You know, when you know Brad Pitt started to get some, you know, cinema recognition, what did he do? He cast himself with more experienced actors. You know, he went and did Seven. He went and did Legends of the Fall. So he learnt from people like Morgan Freeman, like Anthony Hopkins. You put yourself in those positions where you learn off the best. And so she, you know, she's doing that as well. Hang out with Capaldi, and he'll teach you nothing but how to be a star. I mean, Matthew Waterhouse blossomed, didn't he? well well, he'd never know if he was right (laughs) oh well done now before we go rob uh you are touring who me up in bris vegas up in uh, brisbane is that yeah well never taken who me there i've been to brisbane many times we went but i've never taken uh uh who me there i've been doing the show four years and i've never taken it up to queensland but now uh, I'm taking it up next week to the Wonderland Festival at the Powerhouse. Tickets are selling incredibly well. We've only got, I'm doing four shows, um, uh, and we've only got like about 15, 20 tickets left. So it's going along really, really well. People are excited to actually get the show up there for the first time. So, yeah, all information's on my website, robloyd.com.au. Uh, tickets can be booked there. Um, and yeah, come along if you're in Brisbane and if you're a Doctor Who fan. Uh, but get in quick because show uh, uh, tickets are selling out. It's the first weekend of December up in uh, Brisbane. As Molly Meldrum said, do yourself a favour. Go and see it. Do yourself as a you favor. say favour. Very good. Well, thank you, Rob, for joining us on this emergency podcast. It was a uh, very uh, short notice. I know it's more. It was like, oh, what are we doing tonight? Nothing much. Let's record a podcast. That was it, really. Wasn't it? <laughs> My first night off in like a couple of weeks, and what do I do? I talk about Doctor Who with the boys. Woohoo! Exactly. After exactly. festival party. Yeah, so thanks very much. Uh, good luck with the show in Bris, uh, Brisbane. 
and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you back on next year uh, some sometime to talk about Doctor Who and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> are we coming back next year, Rob? Uh, my Rob, you're, you're both my Robs, but are we coming back next year? We made it, have we made a decision yet? Well, it just depends on how the planning uh, meeting goes at that Thai restaurant. Oh uh, yes, yes. In, How's uh, our in... Patreon account looking for those chicken skewers? <laughs> <laughs> the cupboard is bare vis-a-vis the Patreon account. <laughs> yeah, I blew all that cash on the trip to Sydney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's me all the time. Yes. All right, yes. Rob. Thank you so much for uh, once again get, uh, coming onto the 42 to Doomsday podcast. It's always a pleasure. Absolute pleasure to join you guys. And, um, yeah, thanks for yeah having a chat about all things Who again. So, And as we traditionally do when we have a guest on the show, keep punching. 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 I can't work that out in the edit. (laughs) You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.